Hello, listener, and welcome to episode two of Storybox, a serialized fiction podcast. Welcome to your story. You raise the goblet again to your lips. You ignore the metallic tang assaulting your nostrils and brace yourself as you tilt the cup upward. You have to know. The liquid is thick and warm, clogging your throat as you force yourself to swallow mouthful after choking mouthful. You gag as the last dregs drain from the cup, but force every drop down, wincing at the taste. You slam the now empty cup on the table. Your chest rises and falls painfully as you pant for breath. All right, you think. Where is this new power? In answer, the world shifts. The walls tilt. And your vision goes black. The inside of your skull pounds. A heavy weight presses on your chest, digging your back into the stone floor. You groan, begging to sleep for just five more minutes. I wouldn't squirm around too much. Your eyes fly open. Your world focuses in an instant, your eyes sharpening on the edge of a blade pressed to your throat. Just who exactly are you? Says a voice low in your ear. You try to scramble away, but you are pinned to the floor. A knee presses painfully onto your chest. The knife presses closer to your skin, and you swallow hard. A man's bulky form looms over you his face shadowed by the low light of the basement. Why are you in my house? He says again, pressing the tip of the blade against your chin. Who sent you? I I got caught in the storm. You choke out. I was lost in the woods. I didn't have anywhere else to go. The blade remains insistent beneath your chin. These woods are warded. Who are you? I don't know what you're talking about. I woke up in the forest and found the cabin when the storm hit. I swear. The knife retreats a few inches as he grabs your arm and pushes the rough fabric of your shirt up to expose your skin. What are you doing? He ignores you, turning your arm back and forth before doing the same to your left arm. Whatever he doesn't find there makes him pause. He glances over the sweatpants and flannel you are wearing. His eyes narrow, and you assume he recognizes it as his own. He shifts backward, and some of the pressure lifts from your chest. You take in a shaking breath, but when you try to squirm from under him, you find yourself still pinned to the floor. He reaches for the goblet and runs a finger against its rim. His tip comes away dark and sticky. He touches it to his palm. His face twists as his eyes dart from it to you and back again. You drink from it. His voice is a growl as he stands up in one swift motion, grabbing a hold of the front of your shirt to lift you up with him. His hand is a vice around your arm as he pushes you forward. 
He tried to twist away, thrashing backward, but his grip tightens painfully. Stop! What are you doing? I don't know if you're careless or just plain stupid. The seer's goblet isn't something to play with. By drinking from that cup, you signed a contract in your own blood. And if we don't leave soon, we're both going to be in a lot of trouble. I'm not going anywhere with you. You twist again, trying to escape his grip. He slams you into the wall, pinning your back against it. His face is just inches from your own, his voice low. I'm not giving you a choice. Either you come with me to the Order, or I will take you to the Order. His breath is hot on your face. From here you can see that his eyes are as dark and hard as onyx. You nod, barely more than a dip of your chin, and he pushes away from you, stalking up the stairs. Who is the Order? You call after him having to take the stairs two at a time to keep up. He ignores your question, pushing open the trap door and stepping back into daylight. The sun is shining bright overhead. How long were you asleep? Can I at least change? You ask as he pushes you toward the door. He pauses, looking at the thin clothes you're wearing and sighs. Fine. You have five minutes. You gather your clothes still laid out beside the fire and head toward the bathroom, glancing over your shoulder to find his eyes trained on your back. In the light, you can see his features more clearly. Olive-toned skin, dark brown hair cropped close to his scalp, the shadow of a beard on his chin. His face is all sharp lines. You feel like a mouse beneath a hawk's glare. His face doesn't change as you hurry past. Your mind reels as you dress. You feel like you shouldn't trust this man, but what choice do you really have? What is the order? Wasn't the goblet supposed to give you power? Apart from a few stiff muscles and a pounding headache, you don't feel any different. A loud banging interrupts your thoughts. Let's go. You scramble to zip up your jacket and hurry outside. Two horses stand waiting, their breath puffing out in white clouds. You pull up short. Horses? You ask. Don't you have a car or something? He narrows his eyes at you, his eyebrows knitting together. You shift under his gaze, lowering your eyes from his stare. Okay, fine. Horses it is. Actually, that's a mule, he says, gesturing toward a long-eared creature loaded down with gear, its head secured to the back of a horse's saddle. You hesitate, and he gives you a small shove forward. Get on, or I can make the ride a lot more uncomfortable. You throw him a glance, swallowing hard as you tiptoe up to the mule and pat its neck. It doesn't react to your touch. In fact, it looks as if it could fall asleep at any moment. Okay, you whisper to yourself. Here goes nothing. 
You place your foot in the stirrup and swing yourself onto the mule's back, landing with a loud woof. Your knuckles shine white as you grip onto the horn of the saddle as the stranger swings up easily onto the horse's back. You're not worried I'll run off. He turns to give you a smirk. You can try, but I don't think you'll get very far on that one. You lean to look at the mule's face. Its eyes are completely closed now, its head drooped low. In on foot, he slings a bow over his shoulder. Well, I don't think you'll get very far. You raise your eyebrows at the bow. Very rustic of you. The horses set forward at a quick walk. The mule's body sways beneath you. You squeeze your legs around its belly. Do you have a name? You call over the sound of hoofs crunching in the snow. Do you? He counters. You let the wind answer him. The silence between you grows taut. He seems to slump in the saddle as he answers. It's Ashton. I would say it's nice to meet you, Ashton, but I'm still undecided on that front. He waits for you to introduce yourself. When it becomes clear you won't, he sighs again. You're smart to be careful who you give your name to around here, but I do have to call you something. You can call me whatever you want. Ashton turns in his saddle to look at you, his lips twisted in a smirk. Okay, darling. You shudder, glaring at his grin. Anything but that. He raises an eyebrow. Would you prefer I call you sweetheart? You purse your lips together. Anger heats your skin. No. Ashton's grin grows wider. Perfect. Darling, it is. The trees circle you as you press forward, following a path hidden by the snow. The steady rhythm of hooves and crunching ice echo through the forest. As the sun rises higher, the forest seems to reawaken. Birds call to each other overhead, searching for seeds buried in the snow. Squirrels dart in front of your path, chattering as they skip across the road. A fox appears beyond the bushes, its coat fire against a frozen white canvas. Mile after mile of identical trees passes. You keep throwing glances at the bow strung to Ashton's back. Would he really fire on you? You remember the sharp edge of the knife pressed to your throat. And know he would. Despite the unease bubbling in your gut, you know this is your only option. Where exactly are we going? You ask, once the silence becomes too heavy to bear. There is a small town not far from here. We can contact the order from there. I'm still not sure why you're bringing me to this mysterious order. You say stubbornly. I already told you everything there is to know. I really doubt that. Okay, well, I have some questions for you, Ashton. Like, why did you even have the goblet in the basement if it's apparently so dangerous? And why did you even have the secret basement in the first place? Don't you think that ring's just a little bit serial killer? Shh. Ashton raises a hand in the air and stops the horses. No, I'm not going to stop. 
talking. His eyes scan the trees, darting to the shadows between them. Get down, he says from under his breath. His eyes don't pause from their pattern. In a single moment, he has the bow off his back and knocked with an arrow. Now, he says more forcefully when he sees you haven't moved from your place on top the saddle. You slide off quickly, falling backward onto the snow in your hurry. Ashton dismounts more slowly. He shifts his body in front of yours, eyes still darting between the trees. What is it? Your voice is little more than a breath beyond your lips. Wolves. As he speaks, dark figures materialize from the trees. Three men stalk toward you. Their eyes are wild, their hair grisly and overgrown. Little lambs, sings the one at the center. Don't be shy. We only want a taste. Stay back. Ashton's voice is a command. He holds the bow taut, pointing it straight at the leader's heart. You take another step back, inching farther behind Ashton. The one at the center grins with sharp teeth, bearing their points at Ashton's arrow. As you watch, the force seems to shiver. The light around the man shifts, and a wolf appears where he stood. You gasp, and again he becomes a man. The trees tilt, and like two sides of a coin spinning head over tails, the man and the wolf flicker in and out of you. A sharp pain pierces your skull, and you let out a cry of pain, digging your palms into your eyes as the pressure builds. Oh, the lamb is hurt. Should we put it out of its misery? The wolves begin to chuckle, the sound distorting between voices and growls. The pounding is louder than ever. The pain is unbearable. The wolf lunges. Ashton releases the arrow into the wolf's neck. The others pause as their companion falls, then lunge toward Ashton. You try to run, but teeth catch your leg. You scream, falling to the snow. Your eyes meet yellow ones, and you raise your foot to strike the beast, tearing it from where its teeth have sunk into your flesh. The wolf whimpers as your boot meets its skull, but it recovers quickly with a snarl. It lunges again. The wolf is thrown to the side as Ashton tackles it and buries the knife in its neck. A whimper fills the air. The snow runs red. You all right, darling? All right. They were... they were men. How are they... Two wolves lay dead around you. Ashton leans over your leg, pressing his fingers to the raw skin. You'll be fine. He straightens, pulling you to your feet. You wince, keeping the weight off your torn leg. We need to go. The third one ran off. It won't be long before more show up. He bends over the first wolf and pulls the arrow from its heart. How fast can you ride? You feel like the blood has been leached from your skin. Your hands are shaking, but you do not feel cold. Ashton turns to you, then nods once. All right. You'll have to ride with me, then. You barely notice when he lifts you up into the saddle and swings up behind you. 
His arms circle you to stop you from falling off the side of the horse. The hooves pound and the forest passes in a blur. You feel numb. They were men. Hello everyone, this is your narrator, Michaela, and I want to thank you for listening to the second episode of Storybox. Just a quick reminder that you can find us on Twitter at StoryboxPod and on Facebook as StoryboxPodcast. By using the hashtag StoryboxPod, you can get a character named after you, like Ashton was in this episode, which is named after... Oh, look, it's Ashton on Twitter. You also are about to meet Grace, who is named after a study in Gigi on Twitter, and Abraham, who is named after Ali Abe, also on Twitter. If you want to support us in another way, you can always give us a review on iTunes, or you can just tell a friend about this cool podcast that you're listening to. I also wanted to let you know that the next episode will be going up on February 27th, So I will talk to you again then. In the meantime, let's get back to your story. You are standing in the stable of an inn. Ashton's voice is just barely audible over the roar of chatter from inside. Drunk voices carry songs on the wind. A soft glow beckons from the windows, inviting you away from the cold. Put this on, and don't talk to anyone. You nod once, and take the black cloak Ashton holds out to you, clasping it around your neck. He pulls the hood low over your head. Just try to blend in. This town is used to travelers. He steps away from you and into the inn. You follow slowly, slipping into the door right before it closes. Inside the noise is amplified, but you welcome it. It keeps the image of the wolfmen from creeping back into your mind. You keep your eyes to the floor as you push forward keeping close to Ashton's heels as he pushes past crowded tables toward the bar. Ashton leans over the counter and raises a hand to catch the eye of the bartender. A woman with tight blonde curls separates from a pair of patrons and bounces toward him, her tight curls springing with every step. Been a while since I've seen you around here, Ashton. She greets him with a bright smile. The usual. Ashton shakes his head, leaning closer to speak in a hushed tone. Not today, Grace. I have a delivery to make, he says. The woman's smile fades, and she looks past Ashton's shoulder to stare at you. Despite the hood still pulled low over your face, you feel as if she's studying your every feature. Pain pierces your skull as her eyes meet yours. The world starts to shift and shimmer again. As you watch, Grace's alabaster skin blooms with color, staining the pale surface green. 
Her teeth sharpen, each leading to its own razor point. Her hair and eyes are leached of color until only white remains. You squeeze your eyes shut, raising a hand to your forehead and willing the pain to stop. When you open them again, the blonde grace has reappeared. I'll find Abraham, she says finally, then turns on her heel and disappears around a corner. An elbow jostles you forward. Watch where you're going, slurs a man with beer stains down his shirt. You shift away from him, about to mumble an apology when his smooth skin grows hard with scales. His tongue flicks out in a barbed point. What are you looking at? You shake your head, quickly averting your eyes from his reptilian face. Nothing. You mumble. You scan the room, your eyes struggling to find a safe place to settle. But as you skim the room, the world shifts again. One by one, the patrons of the bar change. Fangs sharpen. Talons scrape wood tables. Ears grow pointed. Pain splits your head in two. Ashton catches your elbow as you tilt, dragging your body against his own. Are you okay? He asks, voice low and urgent in your ear. They're all changing. You moan. His eyebrows knit together in concern. What do Abraham is ready for you? Grace appears by your side. Follow me. She sets off down a long hallway, not looking to see if you follow. Come on, Ashton says, helping you walk down the hall. The world is still shifting beneath your feet, but as soon as you leave the crowd, it becomes easier to breathe and the pain subsides. Grace leads you to the end of the hall. She doesn't hesitate at the dead end but lifts a hand and presses it against the wood panels. The wall moves, swinging forward to reveal a stone tunnel. Torches line the walls. Does everyone have secret passages? Grace just smiles and gestures you forward. Ashton offers Grace a small nod as he leads you past. Where are we going? Your voice echoes back to you, and you close your mouth as if the noise reprimanded you. Everything will be explained soon, Ashton promises. You give him a wary look, unconvinced, but you have no choice but to push on. He may have protected you, but you have no doubt that his threat from before still stands. Your steps echo down the corridor, gradually leading you deeper into the earth. The air grows cold and damp, tightening around your lungs as the darkness grows more bold, allowing only the barest of light to escape from the torches. It presses around you, and just when you think the tunnel extends forever, the walls drop away to reveal a large cavern. At its center sits a figure in a red robe, hunched over a wood table, piles of books stacked up to their head. Ashton clears his throat as you approach, and the red-clad figure raises her head, 
pushing a pair of round spectacles up the bridge of her nose. Abraham? The librarian seems to wilt as her eyes settle on you. So you found another one. She found my cabin. My warded cabin. Wards are not faultless, she says mildly, turning back to her pile of books. Ashton clears his throat again. Yes, well, she also found the seer's goblet. When Abraham doesn't respond, he continues on. And drank from it. Abraham turns another page, not lifting her eyes from the book. And now you want me to solve your problems. Ashton's jaw tightens. I am following protocol. Abraham waves a hand at him dismissively. Yeah, yeah, the order's all rules and blah, blah, blah. She snaps her book closed, turning to stare you in the eyes. So, you have some questions. First of which is probably, what did the goblet do? Have you noticed the world turning a different direction lately? Things that no longer appear as they should? I... You hesitate, digging your fingernails into your palms. There were men who became wolves. Skin that became scales. The entire room. Everybody changed before my eyes. Abraham nods. She steps around the table and leans in close to peer at your face. Your eyes are being changed. You're starting to see through the veil. I imagine you have some pretty terrible headaches, yes? What do you mean, seeing through the veil? Well, the very simple explanation is magic. The more complex explanation has to do with threads of the universe intertwined in delicate powers and the forces that shift them. By drinking from the goblet, you snipped one of those threads. A small change to the universe as a whole. A big change to you. So I can see magic now. Now, you can see past it. You cast a glance to Ashton, but his face gives nothing away. His eyes never break from Abraham's face. Why am I here? It all comes back to balance. That goblet is a contract. It gives you something, you must give something back. Unfortunately, the one who comes to collect isn't exactly welcome company. We are here to keep the order between worlds. When something skews one way, we fix it. The goblet demands you give something to our world for what you have taken. You have already made your choice in that, but we will offer you a second choice. You can take your chances with who comes to collect payment and whatever he demands, or you can join us and settle your debt that way. You want me to work for you, like as a maid in the inn? Not exactly, Ashton says. It's more of a active role. We really can't tell you more than that. Abraham says, 
Not until you join secret society rules and all that noise, but you are free to choose as you will. If you decide you do not want to be a part of the order, I'll have Ashton escort you back upstairs and you can rent a room for the night, free of charge. So, Abraham claps her hands once. What's it gonna be? You in? You blink, looking between Abraham's expectant face and Ashton's stoic one. A choice has come once again. Your story stands on a pivot. And now you must turn. Do you join the order? Or do you take your own chances? A or B? What do you do? I want to thank you again for listening to this episode of Storybox. By the time this episode is up, our polls are also live, and you can go vote on those for the next three days. Again, you can find those on Twitter at StoryboxPod or on Facebook at StoryboxPodcast. Those will be live until February 16th, at which point the decision will be final and the next episode will be well on its way. Thank you once again for listening.